KMTT, Kimitzion, Tetzei Torah. And today is Wednesday, this is Ezra Bik. And today is the fourth uh, shir, the fourth episode in our series on Medrashei Bereshit. Um, last week we got to the end, I mean we're not reading every Medrash, not even close to it. We got to the end of Parsha Aleph, which is parallel to Pasuk Aleph. We basically did only one Pasuk. Uh, and not even most of the Medrashim. The, uh, the first Pasuk in the Medrash Rabbah on Reishit is 22 pages. We did three uh, selections. But nonetheless, we've gotten to, to the second Pasuk, thank God. And the second Pasuk, in fact, uh, managed to achieve also an entire Pasha uh, in uh, the Medrash Rabbah. The Pasuk did challenge the imagination of Chazal, the Amit Saita, Tohu Vavohu. The word tovavo is, first of all, although maybe we've become obviously used to the word, one, because it's the very beginning of Veshit, and we learned it in second grade and first grade, and two, it does have modern Hebrew parallels, but it's a very unusual phrase. So the Mephashim Imshat explaining means somehow chaos, eh, or, or emptiness, or no, no form. But Chazal, the Medrash we're going to quote today, interprets it differently. Rabbi Abao and Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon. Two opinions. Is a common, a common device in the Medrash to give, have two opinions, but not just two separate opinions. It's one Medrash that says two opinions. That means that they're both very similar, but nonetheless different. And we're going to be interested, we're going to ask ourselves what the difference between the two of them is. Similarity will be obvious. Rabbi Abahu Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon. Rabbi Abahu Amar Mashal Lemelech. The Aretz Saita Torah Vavoh will be interpreted by a parable. Mashal Lemelech, a king, Shekanalo Shnei Avadim Shnehem Baoni Achat Ubetimi Achat. The king caught, uh, the king bought two uh, servants, two slaves, in with one. Contract one star, only achat, uve timi achat, and uh, also with one uh, one Meister Kenyan, one 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 purchase. He knows he, he he bought a pair of slaves. The idea being that they were that they were equal, that they were they were packaged a package deal together. But then al echad gazar sheyenizon mitimayon. One of them, he decreed, he arranged for him to receive his food from the from the king's kitchen, from the Otsar HaMelech. But the second one, he decreed that he should work and eat. In other words, he had to provide from his own work for his own sustenance. So the second one, the one who had to work in order to eat, who only ate that which he produced, he was sitting tohe ubohe. Tohe according to the Medrash, means this is uh, similar to a modern Hebrew usage of these verbs. Wondering and amazing. Tohe ubohe. He's wondering to himself. The way the Medrash understands it as being more than just wonder, but wonder critically, wonder and complaining. He was he was astonished. 
תוהו בוהה. תוהו ובוהו, הארץ הייתה תוהו ובוהו, the earth was astonished and wondering, amazed, in a negative sense, in a complaining sense. אמר, שנינו בעוני אחת ובתימי אחת. We were both brought together. זה ניזון מטמיון, ואני אם איני יגע, איני אוכל. And he, the other one, he receives food from the king's kitchen, but I, if I don't work, I have no food. Okay, that's the mashal. What is the nimshal? What is the meaning of the parable? Kach yashva ha'aretz tohe'u bohe. So, the earth, ha'aretz aita tohu vavo. The earth was tohe'u bohe. Amazed and astonished. Confounded. Amra, the earth said, Ha'elyonim ve'hatahdonim nivru'u bevatachat. The upper world and the lower world. Remember last week we spoke about the heavens and the earth. The creation is double. There's not one world. There is one world that has two parts. And specifically, I think our Medrash is taking off the final opinion mentioned last week that said that the question of Beit Shami and Beit Hila, which was created first, was misleading because they were both created together. And as Rabbi Shuma Yochai said, like a pot in its cover. Nonetheless, two parts. Elyonim v'tachdonim. The word Elyonim v'tachdonim refers to the inhabitants of the upper and lower world. Elyonim v'tachdonim nivru'u b'vatachat. The upper world, or the upper creatures and the lower creatures were created together. But the upper ones, nizonim miziv hashchina. They receive their sustenance directly from the light of God's presence. In other words, their life is spiritual, derives directly from their closeness to God. But we, the lower ones, if we don't work, we don't eat. So it's clearly a complaint. But, but more than a complaint is that it's amazing. He doesn't understand. How could it be? It's unfair. If we were both created at the same time, why is there this difference between the upper and the lower worlds? In effect, what the Midrash is saying is pointing out the difference. There are two parts to the world, and yet there's this basic difference between the upper world and the lower world. It doesn't refer to the height, but it refers to the basis of their existence. The upper world, their life is, is automatic. They're insured. There's a, there's a treasury of the king which provides them with life. It's called Ziv Hashchina, the light of the divine presence. But we in the lower world, we, if we do nothing, we die. If you don't work, if you don't sweat, metalo yageya. Yigiya means, means labor, the weariness of labor. If you don't actually labor, you cannot, you cannot live. And so, first and foremost, says the earth, amazing, why is that? Why am I discriminated? I'm equal to the upper world. We're both created together. What is the basis for this distinction? That was the mashal of Rabbi Abahu. Rabbi Yudabar Simon Amar, mashal, he has a different parable. Quite a parallel parable, which is why the two come together. But nonetheless, he um, formulated it differently. Mashal Lemelech, king, 
שקנה לו שתי שבחות, שתיהן בעוני אחת ובתימי אחת. King bought two servants, two female servants, two female slaves, both with one purchase and one uh, deed, one document. על אחת גזר שלא תזוז מפלטין, one of them, he decreed that she not leave the palace, we would call a house servant, on the second one, he decreed tirudin, uh, troubles. It means that she had to wander. She didn't work in the house. She went from place to place. She had no home. She was sent out into the, into the outside world. So the second one, the one who was decreed that she wander in the world and not be permitted to live in the palace she was she was confounded astonished and I guess also bewildered we were both brought together the first one doesn't leave ever the palace but I am forced I am sentenced to wandering that's the mashal, the parable. What's the meaning of the parable? Kach, yashavala ha'aretz tohehu bohe. So the earth was tohehu bohe. Amraha elyonim v'tachtudim nubuvatachat. The upper world and its denizens and the lower world and its denizens were created together. Elyonim hayim v'tachtonim meitim. What does it mean? What's this? What's the nimshal? What's the meaning of the parable of living in the palace or being sent out to wander in the world, they live and we die. The inhabitants of the upper world, the angels, have eternal life, but the inhabitants of this world die eventually. I'm not sure that's what you would have assumed was the meaning of the parable. Living at home or wandering. But here it's explicit, so we don't have to search for another meaning. Living at home means being alive. Wandering means wandering and getting lost. Wandering off and eventually disappearing. Death. Okay, so we have two statements, two parables, offered more or less clear that they're very, very similar, but nonetheless different. Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Yudah Bar Simon. What is the meaning of the parable? Okay, so the, 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 the first step in the meaning is obvious. They were both saying that there is a distinction between the two parts of the world. We saw previously there are two parts to the world, the upper spiritual heavenly zone and the earthly zone. It was also implied in last week's year that they, they combine. It was God wants them both. God needs them both. The world, as a world, consists of these two halves put together. In all sorts of different relationships which we discussed last week, one supports the other, one is the purpose of the other. They simply work together. Right? There are different, different similes used. Last week, Bishamah Betilel and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai 
But now the Medrash points out, but there's this, there's this, there's this difference. A difference that appears to be a cause of discrimination against the lower world. Two differences. One is the upper world doesn't have to work for its sustenance. Its life, so to speak, is guaranteed. Second point, the upper world, the life is eternal. In the lower world, you have to sweat to live. And two, eventually you're going to run out of steam. It's not enough to work in order to eat. Eventually you will die in any event. The question is, what's the point of this Medrash? I, I would have also expected an answer, but there is no answer. There's no obvious answer in the Medrash. The question is, the earth asks questions. What, what, what's the answer to the earth's questions? No answer is given in the Midrash. Second question is, what's the difference between Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Yudabar Simon? Why did one change the other? As I said, this, this um, formulation appears numerous times, I mean, dozens, dozens of times, the Medrash Rabbah, <coughs> on a given Pasuk, A and B, A says this, B says that. It, it comes to tell you, there will be another opinion, there are more opinions here, so what Tov means. There are opinions which are other explanations. This is two explanations that are the same, but 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 different. The difference, therefore, is very important to understand. What is the difference between the male servant who says, why do I have to work, and the female servant who says, why do I have to die? What is this Medrash trying to say? As, a, as an aside, I just want to point out immediately that this Medrash illustrates what would probably be for most of us a very surprising point. We have been trained to think based on on Sukim in the second parak of Beshit that Adam Rishon was created to live forever. And only because of the fact that he ate from Eitz Hadat was death decreed on him. El Ha'afar Teshuvun Teshuv this Medrash, as a number of other Medrashim here, place at the very beginning of creation, the second Pasuk of the Torah, the idea that death is part of the world. It doesn't say explicitly it's talking about human beings, but the idea that it, it's, it's more extreme than that. Being a Tachton, living in the lower world, death, at least according to the second opinion here, death is the mark of the lower world. The truth is the same thing is true for Rabbi Abba's opinion as well. We've also been trained to think that the idea of sweating to work was also a reaction to the first sin. But here again, the Midrash says that, at least if not in such an extreme form, but the difference between heaven and earth is that in heaven, things exist naturally without yigi'ah. Rest is a state of life, whereas the defining feature of the lower world is Yigi'ah. Rabbi Yudabar Simon says the defining feature of the lower world is its temporality, is its temporiness, death. All things will eventually die. There are a number of other Midrashim which, which, which just assume this point. I never see an explanation as to how they understood the Psukim later on. But it's an important point to realize that 
certain features of the world which are negative. I mean, they're not good things. But nonetheless, you have to understand them as being as being crucial, as being inherent in our understanding, which we will have to now try to explain, as to what the world, our world consists of. That they're not merely a, a punishment in reaction to a particular situation. Okay? So the, the Medrash assumes that the reason will be what it is, but death, temporality, and yigiyah, the need to work, the need to produce, these things are inherent features of the world and of God's creation of the world. They are, in fact, mysterious. They do appear to be inexplicable, especially in light of the fact that there's been no chet. Why, if we haven't sinned, do we have to die? And why, if we haven't sinned, are we not granted life directly from the glory of God? That is the question that the earth is asking. Toheh uboheh. Why am I any different from the privileged ones who live in the heaven? Okay, the answer. I think the answer. As I pointed out, Medrashim are open to interpretation. You should use your own imagination and I'll be happy to hear from anyone who wants to share his ideas with me. I'm telling you what I think now. This is, this is what my heart tells me. First of all, the technical answer to the question that the Aretz, that the earth asks, I think the Medrash doesn't have to say because it's found in, you just have to keep reading the Psukim. If this is the Pshan, the Pasuk, that the earth was wondering and amazed, then the next Pasuk has to be a reaction. The next Pasuk is, So God's statement, let there be light, which I do not know how this Medrash interprets, other than the Pshan. But nonetheless, that's the answer. Light. Very often, Medrashim, that means Torah. Something that you can call light is the answer to this question. Uh, I just mentioned as an example, the very, very next Medrash, there's another interpretation of Torah, where there the Medrash is explicit in continuing it into the second Pasuk. There the Medrash learns that Torah, is a summation of all the sins of man. Tohu is Adam Rishon, and Bohu is Cain. And Choshech is Doroshel Enosh. And Alpinetahom is Dora Mabul. The depths mean the depths of the sea. And Ruach uh, Elohim is Shem Ve'ever. And God is him saying, Himself saying, When will we get out of this terrible situation called Tobu Avo Choshech? And the answer is, Yehi O Zavraham. So, Yehi O means. When a person like Abraham Avinu, the beginning of Jewish history, that's the answer to the question of Tova, Vo, B'choshach, etc. So, in, in, I think the same answer would have been said here, although it is not recorded exactly what is meant by Yehi'o. But there is an answer. The answer is light. The light created in the world is the answer to the world's apparent uh, 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 secondary uh, discriminatory status. But I think that the real point of the Midrash is, is a little bit different and I think in fact there's a reason why there is no answer given. The answer to the question is in the question. Remember, Tohe doesn't mean 
it asked the question. It doesn't even mean complained. It means, isn't this amazing? It's like there's a paradox. There's something here which, there aren't any words to answer it. The answer is found in a very amazing situation which at first glance appears to you to be illogical and it never actually loses its ability to confound you. But that fact is the answer. And, and what do I mean by that? So in the first case of Rabbi Abo, I think we can all suspect what the answer is. What was the earth's amazement? I have to work in order to eat. And look at my, my fellow slave the upper denizens of the heavens, whereas they get their food directly from God. I think we're all aware of the idea. Despite the Pasuk that says, is a punishment for Adam Rishon because he didn't listen to God and he ate me Sadat. Nonetheless, in Chazal there's a deep seated Philosophy that says that to eat free bread is a disgrace. Earning your bread or putting it better, not so much the earning, but eating that which you have produced which is not given to you by somebody else is its own justification. Famous Mishnah in Pirkei Avot Gadol ha'ochel kapav yoter He who who benefits from the yegia kapav, the same word, from the fruits of his own labor, is greater. Whatever the word greater means, than he who is fearful of God, fearful of of, of sin. I think most of us are familiar with a psychological parallel to this, is a certain certain pleasure, satisfaction one gets from eating that, from benefiting from that which your own hands have produced. And I suspect that this psychological satisfaction is understood by Chazal as reflecting a true spiritual point. But the point isn't simple. Even after saying it, we still wonder. Because it still comes out, what the, what the point really says is that paying a price, it's a price, you, ha- you have to work, you have to waste time on working, it hurts, the muscles are sore, paying a price is a reward. And in effect, the answer to the earth's question is, you think the Elionim the upper or superior perhaps translation perhaps you think the superior beings are superior it's not true but not because we didn't measure correctly there's a certain superiority in being inferior there's a certain superiority in being condemned to have to work because in the end you earn your life and by earning your life, earning your sustenance, it's an accomplishment for which God created the world. To explain this, I just want to make a simple, a very simple point. A world 
in which everything automatically derives from God can't be the purpose of creation because that world exists before creation. That's basically saying God Himself. In God's world, when God was alone and the only thing existent, then then uh, everything that existed, existed because it was it, it derived directly from God because it's all it was. It was just God. To create angels who will be no more than extensions of, of God's existence is the same as not creating anything at all. So whether one understands the point I was trying to make, whether I understand the point I was trying to make or not, it has to be true. God wanted a world which would not be that dependent on Him, which would in some sense justify its own existence. In other words, God wanted a world that is more distant from God, or according to the Mashal, the king wants servants who will not be that close to him. The ultimate closest is to be absorbed completely. That means no world at all. The ultimate existence of the world is a world which, to at least some extent, supports itself. This supporting itself is an achievement of creation. God has created beings which deserve ex post facto. After they are created, they then go about and deserve create the reasons for their own for their own existence within God's within God's world. They're still called servants. Very important point here. They're still called slaves. You can't ever divorce yourself totally from God. Then you won't exist. But within the framework of the servants of God, there are servants who are balabatim. There are slaves who appear to exist as though they were independent, free, free beings. It's a paradox. You both you have to remain a servant of God. There is no place to live outside of God's orbit, but nonetheless, within God's orbit, as much as possible, the 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 king, right, the master says, act as though you were free. Work for your own food. Support, support yourselves. That's the accomplishment of man. So you can complain about it, and you can wonder about it, and, and it's impossible. I think the Medrash is saying is that, you know, philosophy, philosophy, there is no way that psychologically we can ever completely get over our amazement, our wonder, our jealousy of the angels, our jealousy of those heavenly creatures who simply exist in the glory and the light of God's face. You can't get over it because, because you want it. Correctly. As hard as I work, I would love to be able to just eat at God's table. So you're amazed that you have to, that you're not allowed to eat at God's table. And you have to go out to the field and make your own food, plant your own food and, and, and cut your own food and grind your own food and bake your own food. You're amazed at that. But the Medrash is saying, God says, that's the light. That is the source of the light. The Choshech is the source of the light. This darkness, this amazement, is the source of a light because you're creating something. And creating something new, justifying something new, is what will enlighten this lower world. And Rabbi Yudha Bar Simon talks not about the need to, to work, but he talks about death. This is surely more difficult. In fact, in the, in the commentary of, of David Luria, he says that's exactly why Yudha Ben Simon said what he said, 
because he felt that Rabbi Abel, there was no source of complaint. Eating your own fruits of your own labor, that's a good thing. What's to complain about? Therefore, he looked for something that was worth complaining about, and death was surely worthy of complaining about. But I think the answer will be the same thing. Somehow, surely something amazing in our eyes. Why can't I live forever? Isn't it better to live forever? And it says, yes, it is better to live forever. But in the world that God wants, temporality is a virtue or a source of virtue. Eternity is the sign of God's direct presence. In fact, going back to the Mashal, eternity and temporality were defined as living in the palace or living outside. So we said that the interpretation given here was a little bit surprising, but it still has to be an interpretation. In other words, it's not a matter of, oh, it's painful to die. It's the only way you can live forever is to say to stay attached to God. It's very similar to the first opinion. If you're attached to God, if you don't let go of His hand, then you live forever. But God wanted the world to wander off on its own, to leave the palace, to go out and conquer the world. The world should conquer the world. The world should conquer other worlds. God's palace was pure and wonderful before He created the world. It was His palace because it was in the heavens. It was beyond the heavens. God's existence is the palace. But now we have to find places where it won't be God doing it. If God did it, it will be the same as before creation. God created the world so that the world should create itself. And yes, Chazal understood that intrinsically built into that situation is death. The distance for God provides the basis for true human accomplishment, but it also entails the inevitability of death. If you're justifying your own world, then ultimately you won't be able to justify it absolutely. It's a tremendous accomplishment. That doesn't mean that it's eternal. On the contrary, if it was eternal, it wouldn't be an accomplishment at all. It would be God's accomplishment. Because it's your accomplishment, we have to be honest. Your accomplishment is worth what it's worth, and it's worth something which doesn't exist in God's pure world precisely because you're the one who did it. On the other hand, you're not God. And therefore, whatever you make, whatever you justify, whatever you create, has a, has a time stamp on it. Because it's not God. It's not eternal. And it's not connected to eternity. It doesn't derive from eternity. And therefore, death would appear to be a permanent part of the world. I want to immediately add, we all know that that's not 100% true. There is a promise of eternal life. There's a pasuk that says, And death will be swallowed up forever. And God will erase tears from all faces. So there exists a possibility of somehow combining the two of them. Of a person accomplishing something which will justify God giving him perhaps temporary life eternally. There is a way to combine the two. But but I think they're just saying intrinsically, when the world was created, so death was on the scene. The world was created and God said, make something. When God says to me, make something, 
So I know in advance that I'm going to make something, hopefully, but I will make infinity. And if in the end it becomes infinity, so that's going to be an additional step, which I don't exactly understand, but which is God's promise for the future. But death, in a natural sense, is a permanent feature of this world. What's the difference between Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Yudabar Simon? I'm going to talk a little bit faster because we're running out of time. So I think it's two different aspects. They're very, very close. But it's two different aspects. One is the need to, to work hard, to invest in order to uh, reap, which is a painful thing, but it's true. A, 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 it's easier to understand why it's a necessary thing. And why, in fact, it's the basis for the value of what I eat. And Rabbi Dabar Simon has a more wondrous, a more amazing, a more difficult thing to understand. Death, temporiness, or in the language of the Mashal, distance. Why was I condemned to be distant from God, which is what death is really all about? But again, we can understand why distance is a condition for accomplishment. As parents, I think we have the same problem. If you hold your children close, they'll be perhaps happier. They'll have more food. They'll get the food from you and not from themselves. They live in your house. Distancing them is painful. It's a, it, it's a sad and terrible thing. I'm amazed. Why do I have to do this? Why do they have to? They're amazed. I'm amazed. We're all amazed. But that distance is a condition, a necessary condition, for true accomplishment and, and development. So what we had today was a continuation of the distinction between Elyon and Tachdon, upper and lower, heavens and earth, which we discussed last week. This week it was dis- discussed as a value judgment, not merely two worlds, but two worlds with different, 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 uh, uh, um, different facets, di- different, different bases for existence. Two totally different worlds. One which appears to be discriminatory, a better and a worse. And the major is saying two things. One is, the question is a good question. You should be to her Don't get carried away by the answer I'm going to give. It really is better and worse. But, the Medrash is hinting at is that sometimes worse is better. Or there is a betterness. There is a value in worse which being better doesn't have. There's a value in death which eternal life doesn't provide. There's a value in distance which being close doesn't provide. And there's a value in, 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 in sweating and working hard. Benefiting from your own labor which receiving money directly from the public treasury, living off tzedakah, living off some guaranteed trust fund cannot possibly provide. And that's it for today. And we will continue in Bereshit, uh, Bet, next week. This is Ben I don't know if you could hear in the background. I think it's in the microphone. The, the windows are closed officially. You cannot hear the wind howling outside. But we're getting ready today for our first uh, snowstorm of the year. Actually, our first snowstorm for the last three years. It's promising to be a pretty good one. Assuming the electric lines don't go down and our communication lines stay up. So we will manage to continue this year for the rest of the week. But if for some reason... You don't hear from us in the next two or three days because of the Gush Etzion Tavshin Samachet snowstorm. Then I wish you right now a Shabbat Shalom. Ki Mitzion Teitzei Torah Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim.